Hello, and welcome to Reflections, a podcast miniseries featuring conversations with each of the artists in the exhibition Reflecting on Ruth Asawa and the Garden of Remembrance, on view at the San Francisco State University Fine Arts Gallery from February 24th to April 6th, 2024. My name is Weston Teruya. I'm an artist and writer, and I'll be your host over the next few weeks as we highlight the work of each of the exhibiting artists, Mark Bao-Sasaki, Tina Kashiwagi, Paul Kitagaki Jr., Lisa Solomon, and Titi Takemoto. Each episode will feature a short conversation with one of the exhibiting artists, giving us a peek into the creative process and research behind their projects, in their own words. This first episode, we'll be talking with Tina Kashiwagi. Let's jump in to hear some of Tina's reflections on their work. My name is Tina Kashiwagi. I am uh, from San Jose, California, and I am based in the Bay Area. I mostly make work around my ancestral lineage and looking into past stories that may have been overlooked or forgotten and bringing them into the present. Can you tell us a little bit about the work that people will encounter in the gallery? For um, this project the and the Garden of Remembrance, um, I am focusing on my grandfather, Robert Kashiwagi's experience fighting in the 442, which was a military regiment of all Nisei, second-generation Japanese-American men. Uh, they basically put their lives on the line since the only positions that were offered to them were of frontline duty, uh, which my grandpa had explained as, you know, volunteering for a suicide mission. But I was really interested in this idea of how he felt like he had to prove his loyalty to the U.S. and to this country that sort of betrayed our own people as Japanese Americans as they were put into the incarceration camps during World War II. So the project has taken a lot of different turns, I guess. I started by reading and listening to an interview that my great auntie Christine had interviewed him about fighting in the war and even a little bit, you know, pre-war and what life was like for him and his family after the war. Usually my art practice kind of stems from listening to these familial stories or, you know, listening to stories about my ancestors from my family members that are still alive now. And so in a way, I feel like I'm excavating or like mining these histories since when my grandfather was still alive, I was a very young child. So I didn't really get to talk to him very much about these things. And also as, you know, there's the whole silence with the Japanese Americans, especially Nisei men, and they didn't really like to share their stories or talk about what happened. So it's it's been really interesting sitting with these remnants of him, the interview, and also just these photographs, things that he's left behind. He had a whole binder that on the front of the binder was written in Sharpie, my memorial, and memorial was in quotation marks. And in the inside, he has like all these photos of his family, his parents, of him and his veteran friends. There's only a few photos of him 
in his military uniform. He kept all these letters from like President Roosevelt and talking about like reparations and just seeing all of this. I just see how much being a 442 veteran was a really huge part of his identity. I feel like I'm learning a lot about him. I'm learning a lot about his legacy and also learning about the 442 and how important this group was. And it's unfortunate that they're not really known. Um, They're typically overlooked and a lot of people don't know about their histories. So that's why I was, that's why I was so drawn to focusing on, you know, their narratives through the perspective of my grandfather. So how do you channel that research materially into what you're exhibiting in the gallery? One of the things I'm working on in the gallery is a multimedia installation. I was reading about my grandfather's experience fighting in Europe, uh, in Italy and France specifically, which is where he was sent to. And while I was reading, I was really drawn to these kind of vivid imagery that I had in my mind. He talks about fighting in the forest, and he specifically talks about foxholes, which I didn't know what they were before, but foxholes are basically these holes in the ground that the soldiers would make. And that was kind of where they would end up in if they were injured or just for a place of safety. And for for some reason, I don't know why, but I was very drawn to this. And sometimes in my practice, I don't know why I'm drawn to something specifically, but I will just kind of follow through with it anyway to because there is a reason why. And after making the work, I will understand like, okay, this is why I'm interested in this. But a huge part of the installation is a a sculpture that is supposed to be reminiscent of a foxhole. And I'm making it out of chicken wire, paper mache, and covering it in dirt. And inside the foxhole, there will be a digital monitor where there's going to be a video playing So viewers are able to interact with the piece by sitting on the floor and watching this video through the foxhole. And the video is parts of my grandfather's audio interview. And it's also parts of a conversation I had with my father and him talking about his relationship with my grandfather and what my grandfather chose to reveal or hide in terms of his experiences in the war. So then again, I'm thinking about the silence and I'm thinking about these stories and why he chose to share some with his own children and why he decided not to. I'm working with this audio and then I will sit with it for a little while and listen to it. And then ideas will come up in terms of imagery. So I'm working with the audio first and then I'm coming up with imagery based on the audio. So it's sort of like piecing together like pieces, I guess, to make a puzzle or something like that. I've started digitizing some old family home videos with me and my family and my grandparents are also in it. I'm using that. I've also been working with the National Japanese American Historical Society, who has given me access to some archival material. 
of the men from the 442 and also archives from the camps in general. Um, and then I'm also using some shot footage as well. So I'm imagining the video as, you know, like vignettes. So there's, it's nonlinear and there's not really any order in which you view these parts, but each vignette is sort of like its own little story. I'm struck by this through line that you've brought up a couple times around what's shared and what's kept silent, the public and the private, and how this is reflected in how you've had to undertake this exploration of your grandfather's story through indirect sources, through community archives or your relative stories. Can you expand a bit on this idea of public and private memory in your work? That is something that uh, I've been thinking about a lot because from my understanding, he was a docent at a museum during his retirement. And he also visited a lot of schools where he would talk about the war. And also he was in Ken Burns' documentary. And it's funny because when I was actually doing the interview with my father, like my father mentions that he was so grateful for the Ken Burns video because my grandfather didn't share these things with the family. So uh, essentially he had to learn through this through this documentary that is very much in the public, which I find really interesting. But also my dad did mention that my grandpa loved to share the, like the humorous or the funny stories. So one of the stories was about how he had to, I guess, use his helmet as a, like a bathroom or something. Like he had to poop in the helmet, just things like that. And, you know, my grandpa, I guess, had, a sense of humor. So those are the stories that my father and his siblings would get. But I guess in some ways, those memories and those stories are more personal and maybe more special because he would never share that to Ken Burns, I think. So I guess he did share some information. It was just the way he shared it. Maybe they didn't get as much about, you know, the factual things or the interview that he did with my great aunt there are some kind of graphic details. So I guess I can kind of see why he didn't want to share that with his kids, maybe to not traumatize them. Or it's it's interesting what he chooses to reveal and what he chooses to hide. You know, I still, I see my father like wondering about a lot of things still about my grandfather, because I think he just maybe was more of a private man or something, at least with his kids. So in your past work, you've often taken in stories from your family and transmuted it or embodied it in performance as a means of generating new meaning or understanding. As you've been learning about and processing your grandfather's story, what are some of the things that you've been learning and taking for yourself? I feel like the whole process is sort of a art piece in its own, even though maybe the process isn't visible. I do kind of feel like sort of a detective or something, like looking through these documents and listening to these audio recordings. Through a lot of my work, I always try to have maybe a better understanding of what my ancestors and what my relatives went through, because a lot of them have lived through historical events. A lot of them have lived through war or have experienced it in some way, or even, you know, in this instance, um, my grandfather was fighting in in a war. So it's just, I guess maybe I'm thinking about 
I don't know if resilience is the right word, but maybe resilience or or survival. How how do they cope through these things? You know, as humans and through history, there have been tons of wars and so many different oppressed groups of people. You know what's happening right now in Palestine as well. So I want to focus on, like, I guess maybe the humanity of it. And also these stories, like, they don't live on unless they're being told. I think a lot about that. And that's why I sort of have this obsession with lineages of, you know, passing down histories, intergenerational relationships and trauma, and what is communicated and what's not communicated. That's all an effort to bring myself closer to my ancestors, but also, you know, for other people to hear these stories too and thinking about collective histories and maybe like even if they're they're not Japanese American or whatever, they can still relate in their own way. Thank you for joining us this week. Please tune in each week as we feature each of the exhibiting artists in reflecting on Rutasawa in the Garden of Remembrance, and please visit the Fine Arts Gallery to see Tina's installation and the work of all of the artists. The exhibition will be up from February 24th to April 6th. Gallery hours are Tuesday through Friday, noon to 4pm, with special hours on Saturdays during public programs. Thank you to Matthew Love for composing and performing the music you're hearing especially for this series. Special thanks to Sharon Bliss and Kevin Chen, co-curators of the exhibition. The exhibition is supported by National Endowment for the Arts, the Henry and Tomoe Takahashi Charitable Foundation, the Andy Warhol Foundation for the Visual Arts, and San Francisco State University's Instructionally Related Student Activities Fund.